All engine running. No matter what I accomplished in my life, it wasn't quite enough. I never could find this sense of well-being and peace in my life. At the same time, I was having a very difficult time in my marriage and a very difficult time uh, with my children. Now, I walked all over the world. I walked on other worlds without a knowledge of God. But it was not enough. The walk on the moon did not change my life. The walk with Jesus has changed my life. Well, I'm thrilled today uh, on this Father's Day weekend to have a chance to talk with uh, General Charlie Duke, a United States astronaut and one of four men still alive who walked on the moon. It's great to have you with us, General Duke. Thank you very, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, it's uh, good to talk to you after high ground, and uh, we're looking forward to the interview. Uh, so happy Father's Day to everybody. Some of you may know uh, a bit about General Duke. Uh, he is most famous for being a lunar module pilot on Apollo 16 back in 1972. At that point, he became the 10th and the youngest and remains the youngest person to ever walk on the moon. Uh, before that, he had an impressive career. He graduated from the Naval Academy. He was a fighter pilot. He was a test pilot. He did a master's degree at MIT. Uh, and then he was accepted into the fifth cohort of NASA astronauts. Uh, in light of that, he was friends with Chuck Yeager and Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin and James Lovell and Deke Slayton and all of those others. Um, after walking on the moon, General Duke returned uh, to the military for a number of years and he retired. He had a successful stint in business and has spent much of the last 50 years uh, talking about his experiences all over the world. At this moment, uh, Charlie is the Texan of the year, which in some circles is probably a uh, higher honor than walking on the moon. Not in Illinois, but um, it's something to note. Just a few weeks ago, he was also uh, in the news a lot as the SpaceX was launching. So I met, um, I met Charlie and his delightful wife, Dottie, at High Ground, a men's uh, retreat and ski uh, trip. And uh, immediately I thought, I've got to figure out a way to get uh, the two of them to Christ Church. And we agreed on that. And then um, we had all kinds of plans for them to speak and to be at all kinds of different events. And they were getting to see their friends, the Lovells. Uh, it was all set up and then COVID hit. And so we're doing an interview instead. But um, I'm thrilled to have this opportunity. So, Charlie, um, before you landed on the moon, you were the voice of mission control for uh, the first people to land and walk on the moon, the, the Apollo 13 mission. And that was, uh, there were some tense moments there. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, actually, it's Apollo 11. Uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were the crew. And uh, I uh, was Capcom during the landing. And uh, it was... Uh, uh, High drama, if you will. Uh, 
We started our descent and we had communication problems, so we had to reorient the spacecraft. Uh, then we had computer overloads uh, that I thought was going to scrub the mission or the descent, but uh, our uh, flight controllers uh, said we're going those alarms, so we continued on down. Uh, then towards the end, uh, as Neil began to see the surface, uh, uh, we had him targeted into a big a crater boulder field big crater with boulders and uh so he had to overfly that which left uh minimum fuel and now we're getting down to uh i called uh, 30 seconds and that meant he had 30 seconds to be on the ground i heard uh a buzz aldrin say uh contact uh engine stop and we knew they were on the ground a few seconds later uh Neil said, uh, Houston, Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed. And uh, I was so excited, I couldn't even pronounce Tranquility. But I did finally get out, Roger Tranquility, we copy you on the ground, you got a bunch of guys about to turn blue, we're breathing again. We were literally holding our breath. Uh, were they going to make it before we had to call on a board? So that's the story, and it was a great thrill for me to be part of that historic mission. Obviously. And uh, then uh, a few years later with Apollo 16, I'll see if I can get it right, uh, get my Apollo missions correct. You had a chance to go. And I, I've, uh, like, I, I suppose, much of the world have sort of wondered what that would be like. I was curious as to what it was like to actually take off. And I read about that in your book, Moonwalker. And uh, you said that if you wanted to know what it was like to sit on top of Saturn V when it's burning 4,500 pounds of jet fuel a second, uh, and what you're thinking about, you said you were just thinking about worrying about falling out of your chair because the thing was shaking so much. Can you tell us about that? The uh, Saturn was uh, the biggest rocket ever launched. Uh, it was 363 feet tall, 33 feet in diameter, weighed 6.5 million pounds. Uh, we had a uh, five engines pushing us off the launch pad. Four of them were gimbals, so they would move to control the trajectory. And as that uh, movement came up the launch, uh, uh, up the rocket stack, if you will, to our spacecraft, it was the vibration was intense from side to side. And uh, so, uh, uh, I said, there's something wrong with this machine. But John Young said, we're go. And uh, we and uh, Mission Control said we were go. And I began to relax. Uh, it was just the way it was supposed to shake. Uh, after the first stage, which was two minutes and 40 seconds, uh, it dropped off. And the second stage ignited. And then from then on, it was just smooth as glass as we went into the went into orbit. So the first couple of uh, first couple of minutes got your attention. Unfortunately, you can't see outside uh, in Apollo at this point because the windows are covered over with a boost protective cover. So uh, uh, you're just looking at your instrument panel and you're shaking and it's shaking and everything in there is shaking. But uh, uh, we did, we shook our way uh, into second stage and then after that it was smooth as I said. It was a great ride.
So in in reading your book, I, I've heard it said that there's more computing power in our in our iPhones today than in NASA at the time of Apollo. And reading your book, it made it sound like there were just a lot of close calls uh and that some have said NASA had no business going to the moon in the 60s and 70s. Uh, were you surprised when you look back? Were you surprised that you guys made it and made it back? Uh, no, not really. We we had a lot of confidence in those spacecraft. Uh, uh, they were built by the lowest bidder, but they weren't cheap. And we had the leading edge technology to get us there. And we had a great team. Mission Control was able to overcome a lot of problems that we had. Uh, the Mission Control computers were required a whole floor. Uh, they were huge. But the onboard computers were 80K memory in, a, in the command module and in the lunar module. Well, my cell phone now has uh, 800,000 times that memory. So... Uh, uh, it's incredible. And then I'll see now uh, with the flat screen displays that SpaceX, a Dragon uh, spacecraft has, uh, it's really uh, uh, Star Wars stuff to me compared to what we had. But we had a lot of confidence. We, The, the probability we we're going to make it was high, very high. Okay. Well, what was the what was the best part about being an astronaut? So I I it sounds like you had a lot of fun on the moon, the lunar rover, and and the views and all of that. Is is I'm guessing that the highlight of your career was walking on the moon. Is is that the best part of being an astronaut? Well, in our case, yeah, it was uh, the uh, the um, uh, the. Um the landing uh, on the moon was uh, was really dramatic, and uh, and I'd say then we landed and we were ecstatic. We had landed six hours behind schedule, and uh, so it uh, uh, it uh, it was to when we finally got there. I was so excited, uh, and uh, then we had uh, our first moonwalk, and that was a tremendous experience uh, being out on the surface of the moon. Uh, we had three excursions. The moon was beautiful. Uh, it was uh, incredibly uh, uh, dramatic, uh, exciting, uh, wonder. Uh, but as Buzz Aldrin said, it was magnificent desolation. So uh, that was the uh, uh, that was the, the problems uh, that we had. But we uh, we got over it, and uh, we just enjoyed our three days on the moon. It's spectacular. So, so talk for a second about uh, the Lunar Olympics. You you set out to set a record for the highest standing leap, and that sort of didn't work. Yeah, we had uh, uh, we were going to do uh, something at the end of our stay. Alan Shepard on Apollo fourteen, he'd hit a golf ball. Uh, Dave Scott did a hammer and a feather trick. Newtonian physics. So we were going to do the Moon Olympics, and uh, but we were running behind, and Mission Control was pushing us on to get back inside. But John started to bounce, uh, my commander, and I started to bounce. And when I when I jumped for the record of the high jump on the moon, I've straightened up, and when I did, the backpack took me over backwards, and uh, so I'm falling backwards onto my backpack. And if that thing breaks, I'm dead. 
So fortunately, I was able to roll right and break my fall. And uh, uh, my heart's pounding as I'm on my back on the moon. And uh, John comes over and says, that wasn't very smart, Charlie. (laughs) I had to agree with him. That wasn't very smart. And uh, then uh, uh, he helped me up. Uh, and, uh, the TV camera was pointed right at me. So they had seen this from mission control. They were very upset. So that one event ended the moon Olympics. Uh, and we still have the high jump record, uh, for the lunar surface. (laughs) Okay. Well, so let me pivot here. So what, I asked you what the best experience of being an astronaut was. What was the worst part of being an astronaut? Well, I think the, the, probably the hard, I don't think there was any worse part, but there were hard parts. Uh, and the hard parts to me were the training. It was very rep- repetitious and we did it over and over and over again. Unfortunately, we lived in um, uh, Houston, but the training was all in Florida. And so uh, that was the uh, the problem. Uh was uh, you were uh, you were gone from your family five days a week, and that went on for two years. So that was probably the uh, the hardest part uh, of I'd say of the of the of being an astronaut, being separated from your family so much. It t- took a heavy toll on my family. Well, I've heard you. Well, I've read and I've heard you talk about the fact that when you got back from the moon. Um, you were a little, um, a little lost. You had, you had this, you'd, you'd been to the moon. That's the highest thing that was going to happen. You weren't going to get to go back. You, you had global fame, but you didn't really have a sense of peace. Um, can you explain what was going on those years? Well, uh, after Apollo was over in January 73, uh, all of us had, uh, basically 12 of us had walked on the moon and, uh, and I was 30, now 37 years old. I was actually 36 when I was on the moon. But at 37, after Apollo was over, the thought hit me, what are you going to do now with the rest of your life? How do you top a trip to the moon? So I had no peace in my life. I was searching for the next adventure, searching for the next uh, uh, opportunity. I stayed at NASA for three years uh, uh, until 1976, working on space shuttle, but it was a long way off. And the space shuttle in those days was just basically meetings and drawings and uh, getting built. And so there was no real dynamic training. So I decided to leave NASA uh, after in early 76 uh, to become a businessman. And I thought that was going to be my answer, you know, uh, from moon to money get enough money you're going to have peace and uh so uh that was the start of uh of of a a change Uh, as i said earlier we had uh real problems in our marriage and by 1975 in october my wife was basically on the verge of suicide uh she didn't have any relationship with god really we were in church uh but nothing was real it was just going to church and uh, some people came to our sh- church and shared their story about uh, the reality of Jesus. And he is the Prince of Peace and he can change your life. 
And so after that weekend in October 1975, she gave her heart to Jesus, and I watched her change. Uh, not overnight, but within several months, uh, I was married to a different uh, different woman. Uh, I would I was really pleased with that because change things changed at home, but I was still focused on this business career, if you will. Hmm. I've heard you talk. Uh... And I only bring it up because I've heard you talk about it, that you were drinking too much at the time. Was that something that sort of trying to fill the gap? Well, it uh, I think it was just a, a habit I had. I was in uh, when I went into business, I was a Coors beer distributor. Uh, so I did do a lot of beer drinking. Uh, but I don't think that had the the. Uh, the the effect on my lostness, if you will, uh, I you know drinking uh, helps you feel happy and good. At least it affect me that way. And uh, but I still had no peace inside. And so, uh, but I started started seeing Dottie, and a uh, couple of years, let's see, two and a half years after uh, she came to the Lord. Uh, uh, friends of ours at church invited us to a Bible study. I had just sold the beer business in March of that year. So and it was in April of 78. Uh, and at that Bible study, uh, God got my attention. Uh, and uh, it was a, uh, a story, a revelation, uh, really, of me, of who Jesus is. And I, get, I realized that we had a, an opportunity to either accept Jesus or reject Jesus. We have a free will. God's given us a free will, and we can choose to walk with him or we can choose to walk away with him. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to God except through me. So you be you can believe that or you can reject it. Well, after that weekend, I accepted it, uh, and I said, come into my life, Lord. And when I did, I experienced the peace of God. And that piece has been with me now since 1978. Uh, and what I was really rooting for was the world can't give you peace, but Jesus can give you peace. And that's what uh, I needed was this relationship with God. And so that started changing our marriage, our life, our, our family, everything. Yeah, I heard you talk about a, a reset with your boys. Uh, since it's since it's Father's Day, uh, talk about how you sort of repositioned your time, your relationship with them. Well, I had been uh, I loved my boys uh, when I went to the moon. I was five, and uh, they were five, and uh, uh, well, seven, and almost five. And I, I had been a military drill instructor, dad. And I was going to uh, basically uh, get these kids into shape and to be perfect like I was. So I was hard on them. I uh, didn't uh, I didn't have much love. I was involved in their lives, but it was you got to do this, you got to do that. And so I was always uh, uh, if they didn't always own them, and if they didn't do exactly what I said. Uh, I would be on them uh, with verbally. Uh, Tom, you're just stupid. Uh, that's not the way to do it. So I was literally, uh, uh, they were becoming exactly what I spoke to them. 
what as put downs, I guess. And I began, God showed me that I had cursed my own sons. And by curses, I mean things like you're stupid, uh, you're dumb. Uh, those are, you start, as a father says that, you're beginning to curse your son. And uh, when God showed me that, I was in tears. And uh, so I went to him and I apologized and I said, God, boys, forgive me. And uh, they both did. And uh, we began to build our relationship and I began to encourage the kids, uh, to uh, compliment the kids, uh, bless the kids uh, scripturally. And I watched them begin to blossom into uh, fine young men. Uh, and they uh, both gave us uh, really no trouble in, in high school or college. Uh, they're now uh, grown men, have uh, given us nine grandchildren. Uh, and uh, it's been a blessed family, uh, if you will. And so that's a great Father's Day um, message and uh, an encouragement. Is there we're, we're just about out of time. Is there something um, something you, you want to say to fathers or something you want to say to everybody? Maybe there's a life first or just a, a parting challenge of somebody who's been to the moon and uh, lived a long, full life. Um any send-off words for us? Yeah, I think uh, what I would like to say is uh, walking on the moon was exciting. It lasted three days. But walking with Jesus lasts forever. And we can all walk with Jesus. And as a father, I know now that I'm uh, to be a, a guide and a, and a teacher, uh, even to my grown sons. Uh, they... I, uh, I, I see them looking to me. And so if, if for the fathers out there, pay attention to your kids. Love your kids as Christ loved the kids. And if, if you don't have a real relationship uh, with uh, the, the Jesus, uh, then uh, get right with Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to have uh, this brief opportunity to talk to you. We continue to hope we're going to get you up to Chicago, you and Dottie. And I know she has a wonderful story to share as well. So we're going to uh, hope that that happens. But uh, thank you for spending time with us uh, today. God's blessing on you. Thank you very much, Mike. Good to be with you all and uh, happy Father's Day, everyone.